Welcome to Ramsey Creek's online service. Um, we have been in Second John, so if you want to take your Bibles and go there, we'll be in verses 7 through 13 this morning. Second John 7 through 13. We will uh, read that and then we'll proceed to pray. So let's, let's read Second John 7 through 13. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I come. I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Uh, we have talked about how uh, John more than likely wrote to the to a church, not just a, an individual here in, in 13, at least in my mind, helps confirm that maybe that's the right uh, direction to take this. And so, um, with that being said, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we lift up uh, these very unusual times to you, uh, these very unusual struggles. And uh, as much as they are uh, different for us, uh, and difficult for us, maybe uh, we we thank you that uh, you have not lost your grip on this world. Uh, you know exactly uh, the kinds of plans that are uh, laid before us, and uh, that that they are all designed for us to learn to trust you more. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, enable our trust for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so let's let's sum up where we've been so far. John uh, has has given us two basic things here to consider, and the first is that he has rejoiced in the news that those who were closely connected to uh, the recipient, so this um, elect lady or the church, as we've talked about, uh, that they are that he's rejoicing in the fact that they're they're walking in the truth. He loves this. Um, but he's not just rejoicing, he's also, he's also reminding them um, to hold fast to that truth. We're going to see more of that today. And so, um, that truth that he's reminding them of uh, is the truth that's found in the commands of Christ, in the, in the person and commands of Christ. And uh, those commands are expressed in love for fellow believers. And so, if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, Rod baited us and, uh, and wanted us to, to look ahead and study because there was a very unusual purpose for this obedience, for this expression of love. And so, um, we're going to pick up that unusual thing here in, in verse 7. He says, For many dece- deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So John begins this verse, verse 7 here, with the word for. And the word for can also be translated because. So what I want to do is I want to take verse 6, which we studied two weeks ago, and verse 7, and let's put them together. And so let's, let's start in verse 6 and read 6 and 7 together. 
And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the... This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Because many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So we're, we're putting these things together. And um, walking in obedience, then, is not just to display devotion. That, I mean, that, that's what he's talked about so far, but this unusual purpose is not just to display devotion, but to discern deceivers. So when a professing believer consistently fails in displaying devotion to the local body of believers, what's the problem? Well, we tend to come up with excuses for folks, and and some of those are things like, well, you know, uh, he's just not had very good examples. You know, if he had a good example, then he would follow suit and just do what he's supposed to do. But you know, he just doesn't have good examples around, and and so he he doesn't he doesn't do what this this he he doesn't walk in obedience here. Uh, or we say or we give another excuse for him, and well, you know. He's got a really tight schedule. He works all the time. Um, he's got to balance work and leisure. And and I actually have heard this before. People have said, "Well, um, he he's he's not involved, not active because you know what? Sunday is the only day he has to work on the lawn." And so we we just pass it off. We just excuse it. So. Um, I want to venture to say that maybe that's not a very wise thing to do. And uh, this this week, this last week, the check engine light came on in my van. And everybody knows that when the check engine light comes on in your vehicle, that means that you need to go and and wash it and wax it and make it look brand new. Because if it looks new, it will drive fine and... And, and, and the check engine light will go off, right? If you wash and wax your vehicle and make it look good, no, that doesn't work. That, that, that doesn't work. That means there's something wrong internally. And so when, when there's not um, an expression of love and devotion to the body of Christ, then that, that's telling us something not just on the outside. It's not just his, I'm going to use a big word here, it's not just his orthopraxy. It's not just his practice. It's not just the things that he is doing that are wrong or, or incomplete. There's a problem with his orthodoxy. There's a problem with, his, with his, what he believes. So, so when, when there's not a devotion to the local body, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a belief issue. It's, it's primarily an understanding of a Christ that's, that's a failure here. And so, so what I want to do, what I want to consider here is we need to look at the head. Look at Christ. He abandoned His glory, glory that He shared with the Father, and came to this earth to be born in a cow shed. That's gross. Um, it shows the, the, the level at which He was born. The, the, the socioeconomic level was very low. Uh, uh, it's, it's hard to fathom that the cow shed that He was born in the day before had, had cows and sheep with, that don't have... <laughs> cleanliness is not a top priority for them. And so here He was born in a really kind of disgusting, uh, disgusting situation. 
And he came, even at the age of 12, he understood that his purpose for coming was to be about his father's business. That he came to seek and to save the lost. He came not to be served, but uh, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, and and that took him, that single-minded devotion to that purpose that the father had for him took him all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross to die that substitutionary death for us. And, and not just die and curb the wrath of God against us, but, but then rose again to give us new life. And not just rose again, but then ascended to sit back with the Father, at the right hand of the Father, and share that glory that He had before. And for the last 2,000 years has ceaselessly interceded for us. That's our head. That's Christ. So when somebody says, I'm just too busy, that tells us there's something wrong with their understanding of Jesus himself. And so uh, we need to be wise to these things. Um, We need to realize that the problem is not just that we don't have enough time. The problem is we don't think rightly about Christ. And so, um, so that leads to another question here. How do, how do you spot a deceiver? How do you spot somebody who is an antichrist, according to John? This has been addressed already, actually. If you will go ahead and back up to a couple of pages to 1 John, we'll be in verses uh, 18 and 19 of 1 John. Um, it's a verse that we've preached. It's a verse that we've explained uh, before, uh, verses that we've, uh, we've preached and explained before. And so we're, um, we're going to uh, just read these again, look at them again, consider them again. Children, verse 18 of 1 John 2. It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. That's an alarming verse, really, if you think about it. Especially, you know, it seems like every four years during an election, we're, you know, we're kind of forced to think about the whole question of who is the Antichrist and, you know, is it some distant political figure that, that's going to rise up and, and draw away, you know, the, the masses and, and that may actually be the case. I, I don't really know. Um, I know this, according to, to John in 1 John 2, there are already antichrists here. There are already people that are, uh, are essentially against Jesus. Where are they? The next verse tells us, they, the antichrists, went out from us. That, that means that even amongst us, there are antichrists. That's a terrifying thought. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So the, the issue for uh, discerning uh, deceivers and antichrists is essentially... How do they relate to the body of Christ? Are they actively involved in the body of Christ? You know, back when churches uh, used to practice church discipline, that was one of the first tip-offs that church discipline needed to happen, was, was attendance. When, when somebody didn't show up for a couple of weeks, the, the church body got concerned for them. And inevitably they would go and seek them out and, and try to figure out what was wrong. And so... Um, attendance um, doesn't save you. It's just an evidence of salvation. So, uh, now, we, we read these things, we talk about these things, and, and maybe you're, you're thinking, well, okay, uh, 
this might apply to some people, but this really doesn't necessarily apply to me. I, I really think that I'm safe. I don't think that this would ever happen to me. And uh, John doesn't leave it there. He says, in, if you go on with me in verse 8 of Second John, he says, watch yourselves. Not, not necessarily watch other people per se, but, but watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. And so this verse, this verse, whether, whether we're comfortable with this or not, acts as a warning. What does it warn us against? There, there are some people that are in a camp that says, well, verse 8 will tell you that, that, um, that, you, that you can lose your salvation. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go there for sure. Um, or it could mean that there is a reward of some kind, a greater reward, that will be lost if we don't um, watch ourselves here. And so that's the reason I would lean towards, just simply because that's, in my mind at least, the kind of the plain reading of the text here. Just because I believe in eternal security, and I, I, I kind of cringe to even use these words, but the whole notion of once saved, always saved... I, 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 I believe that, but that doesn't come without some explanation. Once legitimately saved, always saved. That salvation doesn't go away. And so uh, that salvation um, that the Bible presents is, is based on pardoning grace, not on, not on sin-stumbling stumbling performance. It just can't happen. You cannot redeem yourself. So, But that does not mean... That verse 8 doesn't speak to us. It's still a warning. And in fact, I'll go through a list here of verses. If you have a pen and paper and want to write these down and study them later, there are warnings all through the New Testament to believers. Uh, I'll give you, I'll read you one and then we'll, we'll, I'll just reference the rest. Mark. So if you want to hold your finger in 2 John and go to Mark. Mark 13. Mark 13, verse 13. Jesus is talking about the end times. He's the close of the age. Um, all the stuff that's, that's going to happen in the end. Um, and, and quite possibly around AD 70. There's a lot of mix there as to where he's going. Uh, but verse 13 says, in reference to the times that we live in, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But... The one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, if there's, if, if there's a lack of endurance, like, I, like I'm, I'm not going to persevere with, with God or this faith that I claim to have, that's not saving faith. And so, right along with this, uh, Colossians 1.23 is a warning. Galatians 6.1 is a warning. Hebrews 3.14 is a warning. Hebrews 6, 1-6 is a warning. Um, so, so how do we know if we're eternally secure? How do we know if, if our salvation really is uh, resting in the person of Christ? And we've been touched by grace, that we're new creations in Jesus. How do you handle verse 8? Do you, if you're a saved person, a saved individual, you'll look at verse 8 and go, Whoa, that's a warning for me. I need to watch myself. I need, I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in me to will and to act according to His good pleasure. 
But I need to work out my salvation. I, I, I need to watch myself. That it is possible for me to, to succumb to being deceived. If you're a false convert, you may look at verse 8 and go, well, it doesn't apply to me. And just glaze over it. Or, 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 or sit back and go, well, it can mean this or it can mean this. Don't really know. Let's go to verse 9. That's not okay. This is a warning for us. We need to pay attention to it. So watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, uh, but may win a full reward. Vance Havner says, Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. And so, uh, we, there's, if there's anything to be said about faith, faith not only obeys God's word, it perseveres, it continues, it endures. John goes on, notice with me verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So, John doesn't leave us guessing, which is typical John. He draws a line in the sand. He does not say that if you do not abide in the teaching of Christ, you may not have God. He just simply says that if you do not abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. If you run ahead through neglect of love to the believers, or you compromise on the truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that He came in the flesh... According to John here, you simply don't have God. You don't have the Son and you don't have the Father. Now, a door has two sides. And this, just like this verse has, this verse has two sides on it. On one side, it's those who do not know Christ. And on the other side, it's those who do know Christ. So, what's the hinge? Both of them hinge on on one thing, and in fact, one word. In fact, it's a word that we've studied frequently in our in our uh, in our time in First John, and it's the word abide. It shows up again, and not just once, but twice in verse nine. So, uh, how do we know if we or others belong to Jesus? What's your relationship with the word? What, what, what's your relationship to the Word of God? See, the pace car for the Christian life, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus and His Word. And so, when we run on ahead, we're on dangerous ground. And I don't know enough about NASCAR to tell you one thing or another. I just know that you don't get ahead of the pace car. There's a reason that it's there. And so uh, the Christian life, if, if Christ is the pace car, He's there for a reason. We don't want to go beyond Him. So um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but, but just agreeing with the Bible, even in areas that we don't understand, is safer ground than trying to stretch beyond what the Scripture says. So we need to make sure that we're, we're planted firmly in what the Word has to say. So what do we do with those that do run ahead? Um, what's our personal responsibility in that situation? Notice verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, so the teaching of obeying the commands of Christ and the incarnation of Christ, that who He is, um, that He really came uh, to this earth, do not receive Him into your house or give him any greeting at all. So, John's not advocating hatred here. Uh, we, we, we may think that he's, 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 he's doing that, but 
in reality, uh, according to Danny Aiken, he's being both pastoral and practical here. So the, the warning that he's giving us, that he's continuing on here, is that is, is advocating, uh, assisting, or affirming someone in their false beliefs. This is not just that we should be warned ourselves, that was the verse before, uh, but, or a couple verses before, but now we need to make sure that we're not affirming somebody who believes things that are not true about Jesus. Uh, and we can do this a couple of different ways. We can do it through verbal affirmation or nonverbal affirmation. We can verbally affirm somebody who doesn't believe the right things about Jesus by saying things like, let's not split fine theological hairs. You know, uh, you have your beliefs and I have my beliefs and, and we, maybe we don't see eye to eye, but let's get along anyway. Or, or you know, uh, we might say to a Jehovah's Witness who doesn't believe in the incarnation of Christ, doesn't believe in the substitutionary death, and we would say, maybe, well, do you love Jesus? And their answer is, well, yes, of course. And and I love Jesus, so if we both love Jesus, then you know, what's the big deal? We're, you know, we're it, it, there, there's no reason in arguing over it. The problem is the Jesus they believe in isn't the Jesus that's represented in the Bible. And hopefully the Jesus we believe in is the one that's represented in the Bible, that we do think accurately and rightly about who Christ is. And so, um, but we can verbally affirm somebody in a false belief, and that's not good. But at the same time, we can non-verbally affirm this by simply not saying anything. If, a, if somebody is, is guilty of murder and all the evidence is there, and a judge just simply refuses to decide on the case. That's not a lack of judgment. That is a poor judgment. And so, um, when, when, we, when we choose in those moments to just hold our tongue, not say anything, then, then we may very well be non-verbally affirming the false beliefs of somebody. And that's dangerous. And, I, and we may sit back and go, well, that's not that dangerous. You know, everybody's entitled to believe whatever they want to believe. And that's true. You are entitled to believe whatever you want to believe. But in the circle of believers in Christ, we have to be careful about what we believe and why we believe it. And, and John proceeds here with, uh, if, if we're to sit back and go, well, this doesn't really apply. I'm not going to go and call people out on heresy and, and all that kind of stuff. It really doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter to me. And really, at the end of the day, you know, I can still get along with people and that's whatever. You know. But notice verse 11. For whoever greets him, this deceiver, the Antichrist, this person that's, that's believing false things. So whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. What does that mean? Is it what we actually think that it could mean? Yes. Uh, now, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, my mother is, um, is filled with all kinds of just really sage wisdom and advice. And uh, one of the things that she tried to teach us as kids was the whole concept that you're guilty by association. And I, 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 I knew it was a concept that mama taught, but I didn't realize how significant it was. 
you, you're guilty by association. Who your friends are and what, what they do and what they believe, it really does matter. Um, I know a guy who went to prison for several years because of, of, of a charge of theft. What's crazy is he never stole anything. He was just in the car giving affirmation, so to speak, to those of his, to his buddies who were stealing. So he was guilty by association. This is, this is something that the court of law understands. And so, um, we may think that it doesn't matter. Or that, that, that the person sitting next to us, what they believe, doesn't matter. But I can assure you that what they believe matters to you. And what you believe certainly matters to them. And so, we need to be wise to these things. Finally, we come to verse 12. Though I have much more to write to you, which, if you stop and think about it, there, there's a lot more that can be said. We can take literally every verse of Second John and expand it. Um, well, what's humorous is, in a way, Second John is kind of a little summary of First John. Um, so if you if you want to see more of what he's had to say about this, go to First John. He talks about the, a lot of these subjects. And so, um, but he he's, he says, "I have much to write to you. I'd rather not use paper and ink." Which understandable. Um, paper and ink in those days was a hair bit more scarce than it is today. If I need paper and ink, I go to the copier or the printer, and I go get myself, I can go get a ream of 500 of pages of paper. And, and I can go to Walmart, and I can buy out enough pens to last me for years and years and years. That's not the way John, John's setup was. Uh, parchment was, was basically homemade. Uh, paper was basically homemade off of off the, the, the barks of trees and and um, or the skins of animals and, and ink was and I'm, I'm you know maybe it's just because my kids are homeschooled I don't really know but they've they've attempted to make ink out of out of uh, pokeberry juice. And and that seems kind of silly, but that's kind of the way John would have come across ink as well, taking things, chemicals in, in nature, and just using them to, to scribble uh, his letters on. And so, but he didn't want to do that. And it's not necessarily because he he wanted he didn't think that what he had to say was important, and that it, or that he didn't want to waste the resources. But notice the rest of verse twelve. Instead. <clears throat> I hope to come to you and talk face to face that our joy may be complete. So, um, as we close, let me, let me, let me cover a couple things here. One, John closes this letter in very much a similar fashion as how he began this letter. And, and, and so when we, when, you know, we've taken time to look kind of at the, at the meat of this ver, of this, of this letter. And, um, it, and for some, we may think that John just kind of went off the rails and got really snippy and, and authoritative and in, in the middle. But now he's kind of back on the rails and he's, he's kind again. And, 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 and I'm going to say that that's not true. I, I think that he's consistently been loving to his recipient and to those that read this letter the whole time. And so um, negativity... Um, Correction, discipline, are not always 
uh, signs of hatred. And I think in our culture, we think that if somebody's negative, that it's hatred. And, and sometimes it is. Uh, um, but it's not every case. And, and certainly we won't want to accuse the, uh, the men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of being hateful. Um, because I don't think that's the way John was handling things here. He was very pastoral, as Danny Aiken said, and would add to this very apostolic um, he exercises the authority of apostle, but does it with the love of a pastor. So, um, and inevitably, as we close here, the um, the thing I I just find irony that I'm I'm not talking to a a uh, a crowd in this sanctuary. I'm talking to a camera uh, that we're that we're in these trying times. We're in this situation right now, this week, as we look at verse 12. It's, uh, I find humor in this, and I hope you do too. But, but, but there's something to be said here for uh, another big word. Uh, it, it, there's something to be said for ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church, uh, the, the, how a church functions and that, that thing. And so here we are. Um, by video because there is a pandemic and unfortunately several people in our church have have been diagnosed positively and are having to lay low for several weeks and this is kind of just the nature of things right now. But the whole idea of, of what's happened with COVID and uh, within the churches is is really telling and, and not necessarily here at Ramsey but across the board in a lot of churches our ecclesiology, what we believe about the church, has been exposed. And it's sad that so many people say that the church is streaming a sermon on the computer and sending in a check. And, and if you maintain those two things, we're still doing church. And Or we, we do... Um, Drive-in services. I'm, I'm still kind of at a loss as as to how that's supposed to function. You you drive in, you sit in your car with your windows up, you tune into the the FM transmitter, and you keep your windows up. And when the the sermon's over, you drive away. There there's you don't interact with people. There's 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 no fellowship, and unfortunately, we may consider that church. And I would venture to say that's not that's not biblical. Um, so, um, how do we find define doing church? Um, I'm I'm thankful that this mess that we have with with COVID nineteen is is temporary. I'm glad that um, our eternal home is not going to be one of six-foot social distancing masks and Zoom meetings. <laughs> uh, I, I can't even imagine uh, if that were the case. Um, but looking forward to the, the interaction and the fellowship of, of fellow believers for all eternity. That's going to be awesome. I praise God that this is a temporary fix. Um, we need to be, at this time, praying fervently for those that are are not feeling well from covid uh and and to recognize that that god's still in control of all of these things but we don't want to end with verse 12 in in a negative light just to think that we've we've missed maybe what it uh what it means to be a church um 
But rather, we want to end much like John does in a a positive note. Notice again the last part of this verse. I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. That that face to face fellowship with, with fellow believers, God has designed in that joy. And not just a little bit of joy, but enough joy that it it fulfills in us some some joy. I I, I, I just I don't fathom this, uh, you know. But this is the kind of fellowship that we as believers are supposed to have with one another. We we're supposed to have a a, a rich joy when we're face to face with one another. And by God's grace, by God's grace, not only will we will will we discern and learn to discern, um, and, and and maybe even hopefully discern um, deception in our own hearts that we might walk more faithfully with the Lord, but that we would also really cherish the fellowship that we have as a church, all for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you are doing and we thank you again that you are sovereign and good and in control of these things and uh, so there's never a wrong time to add to our thinking to add to our our faith and our understanding and and John has done that in this in in this verse in these verses that we've looked at and so I pray that um, that you would help us Lord by your spirit to guard against false beliefs, that we would encourage one another as the day draws near of your return, and that we uh, would recognize that in this time of separation that um, absence makes the heart grow fonder, that we would that we would come to cherish the fellowship that we share as a body of believers. So we, we lift all of this up to you, and we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.